The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Podcast. My name is Steven Jodder, and joining me as always is Jake Watroba and Armand Gafai. And on today's episode, boy, do we have an action packed show. We're talking about Brian McBride being named U.S. Men's National Team GM. We're talking about Jurgen Klinsmann's and Christian Pulisic's comments, absurd comments, may I add. And then we got Joseph Lowry, friend of the show, coming on talking all things MLS. And fellas, Listeners, join the conversation at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. We want to hear your thoughts, your comments regarding today's conversation or anything that was said throughout the week. And guys, as most of our listeners are doing, NFL playoffs are going on. And one thing it reminds me of is playoffs can be hit or miss. This weekend sucked. Everything turns out into a blowout. You didn't like Derrick Henry running all over the uh, Ravens? No, I loved it. It was great. I mean, the Ravens get their own medicine there, but oh my God. Can we get a competitive game? Is it so hard to ask for? Meanwhile, Jake, Jake, what are you doing with TikTok? Having fun. I love my daddy. My superhero. You guys should try having fun sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I love my daddy. (laughs) I love my daddy. Play the audio if you want to. My superhero. Yeah, what was the inspiration behind that on TikTok? It's a, it, I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't, I don't start the memes. I just create them. Okay. <laughs> I don't start the trends. You I just run with the them. Trends. Yeah, I'm, okay. a, I'm, a, I'm not a, I'm a follower, not a leader. All right. Well, listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, Jake created a video of himself or about himself. I don't know. Kissing Zlatan I, I, Ibrahimovic. I green screened, I green screened Zlatan Ibrahimovic behind me. And yeah. then gave him a smooch right in the cheek. <laughs> Mimicking AC Milan fans. And Armand, you know what I love most about that video? is the fact that he's wearing a Minnesota United hat. <laughs> the whole hey, video is a our, comedy, that's man. Our, that's our favorite MLS team. You know you know how you have these fanboys. Like, well, my favorite you know, England team in England is you know, Chelsea. But my favorite team in Spain is Real Madrid. And I also like Borussia Dortmund in Germany. And I just love AC Milan uh, in Italy too. So oh, you know. everybody has a favorite team from all around the world. It's a matter. Hey, listen, I got like I have three hundred and sixty-five favorite teams, or however many <laughs> countries there are in the world. Hey, hey, but hey, but listeners, make sure you follow our TikTok at. Well, yeah. At what Uncle is it, Sam. Jake? What is our TikTok? Right? It's at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Oh, uh, we might on change TikTok. That. Make sure you follow it. It's funny. Make sure you follow it. I love my daddy. <laughs> 
Oh, well, anyway, let's talk about Brian McBride, who has been announced as U.S. Men's National Team GM as Ernie Stewart had been promoted to sporting director of U.S. Soccer. McBride, guys, 14 years, 30 goals, 95 caps. And Jake, uh, Stewart had some, some positive things to say about McBride. He sure did. He was quoted as saying through uh, U.S. Soccer's website, we are thrilled to have Brian McBride assume the role as general manager of the U.S. men's national team. Through his impressive career as a three-time World Cup veteran and at clubs in England, Germany, and the United States, he has earned the respect of his peers around the world. The hard-earned reputation will allow him to forge important relationships both internationally and here at home. And his understanding of the game and what it takes to succeed at the highest levels will be invaluable to our player pool and our staff. Yeah, and McBride's role is going to be focusing on development and management of the player pool, build and guide culture within U.S. Men's National Team environment, and manage relationship with clubs and obviously represent the U.S men's national team wherever he goes guys i i'm curious to know do we like the move and listeners at unc sam soccer pod we want to hear it do you like the move can can i be honest with you steven i i, I don't i don't know i honestly don't know because we don't know much about this gm role right like ernie stewart was in it for a little bit then he got promoted um, do we even know what mcbride's necessary vision is i mean we hear he's a good, nice guy. We know he's a U.S. men's national team legend. We know all that stuff, but do we really know much about the role and what Mc or what exactly is the role? I also have description given to us and what again, like McBride's vision is. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess cool. McBride's a, a good guy, but do we know anything else? Like, what what else do we know? I feel like it's a bit of a mysterious role, a mysterious position uh, for. And, you know, the U.S. national team and McBride. And, I mean, I guess it's good, but I, 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 I'm going to be honest with you. I, I can't really – I might sound like, yo, I have to know everything, but, like, I, I don't know. I honestly well, just – I'm kind of unclear. Armand, here, let me let me piggyback off what you say, but I, I might scorch the earth here a little bit with what oh, no. I'm about to say. I, I, I think you're right. I think we do have to wait and see on this. What I'm curious to know is I've seen people on Twitter – stating that he'll now have the ability to to make the call on Greg Berhalter's job. But what I question is, does does he really have that ability? I, st- I still feel that that power resides with Ernie Stewart and, uh, and uh, Jay Berhalter. And one thing I will say is, let's just say this team doesn't qualify for the World Cup in 2022. Is Brian McBride going to be the one who is held responsible or is that blame going to fall on the shoulders of Carlos Cordero or Jay Burhalter or Ernie Stewart? I mean, there's a lot of dysfunction within this federation. To, uh, and it seems to me that we've taken those who were in charge, who may be the roots of the dysfunction, and given them now higher positions of power. And, and, and to me, if this national team fails, I hope McBride isn't the one who scapegoated for the acts of Cordero, Ernie Stewart, and Jay and Greg Burhalter. Yeah, that that's fair, Jake. I, I do question what his role is and whether or not it's actually going to have an impact. Now, I think 
and this is just me kind of reading into it, listeners. Let me know if if it is too much reading into it. But I, I do want to play ESPN FC's Craig Burley, who obviously worked with McBride at ESPN, but commented on McBride and his personality and what he would bring to the front office or to U.S. soccer as a whole. Here's what he had to say. Idea, really, what the job entails. Mm. But I'm absolutely delighted for one of the nicest men yeah. you will meet in, in football and broadcasting in general. Mm-hmm. He, Brian is the most, one of the most sincere people. He'll go into that. And he's nobody's fool. Mm. He's nobody's fool. Don't let that you know, nice guy image disguise the fact. He'll make hard decisions. He'll do what he thinks right. He's crystal clear in what he wants to do. He will absolutely align people because people will respect him. He, he will talk to people and treat people in a manner in which they expect to be treated. Uh, and I'm absolutely delighted that he's got uh, in with US soccer and hopefully from him, his point of view, it, it works out. It's not going to be easy. There's a big job, particularly with the playing personnel. But you've got to keep everybody happy. You've got to keep everybody on board, clubs, players, coaches. And if he can be a conduit to do that, uh, and make things better, then fair play to him. Listen, I accept I'm, I might be biased here, but I... Yeah, guys, I, what have we been talking about with U.S. soccer when it comes to player development? It's the fact that they're dis, not disrespecting, I think that's too strong of a word, but there's a ton of miscommunication, players feel like they're neglected. The fact that McBride at ESPN is so personable, is so easy to work with is a good sign. It is a strength that U.S. soccer is bringing him in because we need to reestablish relationships with American players at a younger age. Don't we talk about this quite a bit, Armand, how players often feel like they are just not part of the plan and then we suddenly get into a dual national fight with some other country? Obviously, this is very much highlighted with Sardinio Dest between Holland and the United States. But let's bring it more more regional. Mexico and USA. There's going to be an increased amount of young players, very good players, who could represent both nations. What are we going to do to bring them into the U.S.'s camp and make them feel at home, make them feel like they are part of a plan to bring ultimately a World Cup title to this nation on the men's side of the game. Well, I mean, you say that, but uh, my, my question is why, let's say, not even for his GM role specifically, maybe for something else, why aren't there more, why is there more of like a Latino influence being brought in to the national team than for, the, for you know, dual nationals? Because America, look, we, we the, at least the soccer thing, we, there is a huge Latino influence. So why isn't there any on the national team? It feels like, there is none. And while, like you said, McBride can help, you know, cultivate those relationships, all in all, like, it, it'd be pretty cool if, you know, you know, maybe there was a few Spanish speakers in there. I mean, look at U.S. soccer night and using their Spanish social media. Even fans for this connected, even fans for this connected uh, from that. But I, I feel like, you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, making them feel part of the program, you know, having guys that can, you know, be bilingual and have that Latino influence is also important as well. I feel like, that isn't there. I mean, that's not really specifically McBride's fault or anything like that, but that would be a key first step, right? To have a guy, you know, that does speak Spanish and English, and you know, it, 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 you know, you, you feel you feel a little more included than you know, just a, a bunch of uh, 
I don't know. I don't know exactly the, the the word for it, but people without you know like a real Latino influence or anything. A bunch of white guys, I think. Yeah, I said, yeah. I was gonna say that actually verbatim, but uh, I was trying. I to mean, no, I, I I agree, Armand. I, it, U.S. soccer to me, I feel like almost should be treated as though it's a let's say a Division One basketball team or a Division One football team where you're drawing not only from this pool of you know your U.S born players who can only play for the U.S., but you also have these group of players who are dual nationals, who do have a decision to be made with, you know, do I want to go play for Mexico or do I want to go play for, you know, Honduras or whatever other Latin uh, Latin American country you can think of. Uh, and, and I think there needs to be a recruiting process that is that is done with players. I mean, look, what did Serginho Des say about why he he picked the U.S.? It's because the U.S. was was there from the beginning. They they cultivated him. They're the ones that gave him his chance. The Netherlands overlooked him throughout his youth career, while the, the U.S. gave him a chance to play. You know, for the U16s, U17s, U18s, whatever it may be. It feels like we, and, and I shouldn't say it feels like because it's it, it, that's, this is definitely the issue. We're not reaching out to those who uh, who can decide where they want to play, and I feel like those those individuals should almost get special treatment, if you will, because you're not going to lose the, the U.S.-born player, the, the player that can only play for the U.S. You can't, they can't commit somewhere else. Well, I mean, they can, but it's, there's a lot of ropes they have to go, you know, jump over or hoops they have to go through. I, I think that, you know, if someone can decide if they want to play for Mexico or the U.S., we need to really be laying it on them and saying, hey, we want you here. This is the country you want to play for, you know. We're willing to work with you and help you be the player you want to be. And I feel like right now that's not what's happening with the U.S. Yeah, so this is something rather interesting. McBride now has the power to replace Greg Brawlholter if he chooses to do so. Do you think he would? No. <laughs> no, I, I think he would, he would get overruled. Honestly. That's, what I, Man, that's I... what I think. I think he. The problem if he is he comes in here and says, but, "Oh, but, like we're yeah, gonna get rid right. of Greg." Like I don't think like Ernie and Jay are gonna be like, "Yo, like well, Jay's his bro, brother." Like, of course, he's not yeah, gonna want to fire his brother. He's like, yo, I don't want Thanksgiving to be awkward, so we can't get rid of him. And then Ernie's <laughs> gonna be like, "Yo, dude, it's like it, it's been like a year. Like let's see how this like plays out." Like I don't, I don't think so. But, to be honest with you, but McBride's coming from the outside. Granted, he's still U.S. Men's National Team player, ex player, blah 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 blah. But he's still coming from the outside. He's looking in. He clearly hears what the fans are saying. So I'm surprised, rather surprised, that uh, he has that much power. I wonder. I wonder if there was a uh, an agreement when he took on the job, saying, "Hey, don't fire Greg for eight months." I mean, the question is, how bad does Greg have to do in order to get fired, and how much leash does he have? It seems like they've given him a lot of free reign. But then again, what what important matches have we really played? Apart from... The Gold Cup Final, I guess. The Gold That's Cup it. Final, right? Where they were clearly not... They, they, they weren't even in the same league as Mexico during that Gold Cup Final they either. They ran off the, the, the field. It, it's unbelievable. Well, Greg Berhalter doesn't think that. What was that game where he... Who was the reporter he... <laughs> uh, just oh yeah 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 tongue lashed him in that in that press conference because he said no you I think it was the play, second played off the field wasn't it the second friendly against Mexico where yeah he, well, they, he... they they lost three zero and they were like oh it's positive right 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was very annoyed. Greg was uh, Berhalter was very annoyed with the media when they're like, "Well, where's the progress, dude?" He's what like, do well, you think, Grant Wall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, well, we're up against it. Listeners at Oxfam Soccer Pod, we've been getting a couple questions in. So we will answer them at the end of the show. So stay tuned for the final 15 minutes. We'll take all your questions. Anyway, up next, guys, let's get delusional. guys ready to get weird no, no, let's get no. freaky you want to get a little delusional let's get freaky i'm done all right we're gonna talk let's talk a little jürgen klinsman here Ooh. we for some <laughs> reason me and steven were talking about this earlier this week and for some reason in this country in the soccer daddy. community of my ours we have daddy. this interest in jürgen klinsman for whatever reason and i'm yeah. not yeah, sure he's he's, what uh, he's our is. daddy guys it, i love it, my it, daddy my superhero. <laughs> That's very timely. It's. It, but isn't it I true? I'm I, sorry, Jake. But isn't it true? Why do we listen to this guy still? He's been removed. He's been sacked. Why do we keep going to Jurgen Klinsmann? Why, if he is so great, then why isn't he running the program? If we, I, I, if we I don't interview know, him I, every three, four months, going, oh, Jurgen Klinsmann said something about the U.S. men's national team. Every media member wipes themselves with oil right in front of the guy. Well, I don't think they wipe themselves with oil. Well, I mean, they get so. I think they're, but I think they're more so wiping themselves the off same thing. than wiping. I, I think it's because Jurgen challenged the status quo within U.S. soccer and uh, with MLS, essentially stating that MLS is an inferior league and players should go to Europe given the chance. 
and I, I think he provided a different voice than what we've heard in the past. Yeah, yeah, which no, Jake, was... Jake, 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 you're just, it's simple. This is why. I love my daddy, my superhero. Jurgen Klinsmann is the daddy of U.S. soccer. A German. Yeah, because this is how we treat him. We treat him like he is some sort of god when it comes to U.S. soccer. We lost to Costa Rica 4-0, by the way. Let's, yeah. let's clarify that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, got set, yeah. It's, like, it, it, it's bizarre to me because all these things keep po- popping up. And so, I mean, let's say, yes, he did push players forward. But it's like, dude, like you've been like gone for a while. Like you have a job, I think, with Hertha Berlin now. Like, why, 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 why are we talking about you? And like, oh, I could have done this with this team. Like, what? Like, why? Uh, I don't know. You guys are right. It's, it's really weird. It's it is weird. Let's let's listen to Jurgen Klinsmann talking about his five years with the U.S. Men's National Team. He had a sit down interview with Adrian Heatley of ESPN FC. And had these experiences with the team, with the federation, with the fans. It was it was a, a fantastic time. Mm. I mean, we got uh, through the group of death in Brazil, which mm. nobody ever expected. You know, um, we went into a final four in Copa America in 2016. You know, I helped uh, I don't know how many players to get uh, their move over to Europe to prove themselves. Some made it, some came back in MLS, which is no shame. You know, so they gave it a shot. You know. Mm. Man, that guy likes to talk about all the good things he did for U.S. soccer. Is it? I don't remember. Honestly, don't remember. Didn't we say like the U.S. should get out of the group of death? Or am I? Is he? Is he actually genuinely saying like this was an accomplishment? Because I don't remember. Listeners, help me. What was the expectation of that 2014 run? Going into Brazil, was it to get out of the group of death with Ghana, with Portugal, with Germany? I feel like it was. I honestly do feel like it was. I mean, my 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 thing is with it though. Like, of course, he's not going to mention that you know he set up the team for failure against Mexico by like, telling them two days before, yeah, we're running a three-five-two against Mexico, and it it burned them in the end. And the team's morale was low because they had no idea what they were doing, and they would go into Costa Rica and lose four-zero putting them, you know, in a little bit of a hole going into uh, in the first two games of qualifying. Like, like yeah, of course we're not going to hear that kind of stuff. We're just going to hear, oh, top four, where they got, they got just, I think they got beat pretty badly by Argentina. Or, oh, uh, you know, we got all of this just kind of, uh, it's just all positive. It's all revisionist history, I feel like, Stephen. Do you yeah. agree? No, you're I, I think you're right too, Armand. I and mean, yeah, I, I remember that art match against Argentina in, in Copa America. They got ran off the field. As much as we like to rip on Greg Berhalter last segment about how Mexico ran the U.S. off the field in that three 0 defeat earlier this year, earlier in 2019. Yeah, but wouldn't you want to get rather... run off by Messi and Argentina than your, yeah, your that's rival? a good point too. That's a good point too. Plus, but... plus, plus, getting to the final four was actually, I think, was the realistic expectation. Like, I mean, the the. The, the the bar that was set and and some of it had to do with the luck of the draw you, you drew Argentina who should have gone on and beat Chile in the final but yeah I, I think I think Jurgen does get something correct and there is a lack of belief with the U.S. men's national team and, and here he is on that so what happened now the last two or three years is very sad mm-hmm. it's really sad because 
the team belonged uh, into Russia. They belonged mm. into the World Cup. The qualification was pretty much done. Mm. Then uh, it happens the big disaster in Trinidad Tobago, which nobody ever could imagine. You know, so this threw back the whole the whole national team program for many years. It throws it back, you know, because mm. now there's uh, uh, it's a lack uh, there's a lack of of belief. There's a lack of enthusiasm. There's a lack of of uh, leadership in, uh, at the end of the day. Guys, he, he's completely correct that there's a disbelief in the U.S. men's national team because what fan believes in this U.S. men's national team? Do you even think the players believe in themselves? They can say stuff, but it just doesn't appear to be that way on the field. They have question marks about their role, what they're doing. I think there's even... I think some players question Greg Berhalter in his decision-making when it comes to the roster, particularly the European-based players. I'm telling you, this is something that is going to create a big mess is between the MLS-based players and the European-based players. And guess what? Jeff Cameron highlighted that with Bruce Arena with his, with his play, uh, player selection. No, Stephen, I, I, you, I think you're correct. And I, I, look, you watch the team now, and then yeah, no one knows. It, it feels like a lot of the players are like, like chickens with their head cut off. Like they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's expected of them. And as as a fan, you you, you see that. And look, we talked about this last week. Why, why should we care about anything regarding the U.S. men's national team right now? I have zero belief that this program is moving in the right direction. Armand, do you have any belief that this program is moving in the right direction? I mean, I can have belief that they're moving, you know, remotely in the right direction, but like overall as a whole, it's it's it, it, look, dude, like you know, we're talking about a coach who he loves his concepts and stuff like that, but the results don't show. We're talking about a coach that you know we saw them lose three zero to Mexico, and he's talking about progress because he's trying to get this build out of back mentality or make this team play like Manchester City or something. Look, I can believe in the players. Okay, maybe the youth is going the right direction. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, I don't, I, it doesn't feel like it because it seems like every single time they play against competent competition, they struggle. They don't know what's going on. They lose. Or if they, if they, or if they lose, they lose in a bad way. You can lose in good ways and bad ways. That three a loss, it wasn't good enough. Armand, do you think and the players on and on? Do the players have faith in Greg Berhalter? Honestly, I think they do. I genuinely think they do. The they younger ones, them. the younger ones, but maybe not the older ones. The younger ones do. The older ones, I don't think they do. I guess does. I guess that's all you really need is the younger guys to believe in you. Yeah. I don't because know. the old guys are going I, yeah. on, going away. I, I I mean, I don't know if I get John Brooks does, for example. Yeah, yeah, if that's that fair. And then uh, Jake, Jurgen <laughs> uh, <laughs> Klinsman, man, talk about him being the daddy. I love my daddy, my superhero. You're gonna beat that soundbite. Yeah, in, I know, to man. The ground. It's like a dead horse right now. Yep, it's it's getting played. What about the fact that he thinks he can get the Jurgen Klinsmann? Oh, sorry. What about the fact that Jurgen Klinsmann thought he'd get the U.S. Men's National Team to the quarterfinal slash semifinal, even final of the 2018 World Cup? Now, if he said that about the 2014 World Cup, 
He's correct because Wondolowski missed a sitter against Belgium in the dying minutes of regulation. He could have sent the United States to the quarterfinal in the 2014 World Cup. Chris Wondolowski. Let's flip the page well, of 20. He would, sent, he would have sent them there. They still would have had to go through PKs, but I get what you're saying. No, no, no. He missed a sitter at the end of regulation when it was one uh, when it was uh, still tied up. The sent it to extra time. Uh, I thought that was against oh, when it was two one after the Julian Green goal. No, I thought was it it after... Was there two sitters? Was there two sitters by Wando that he missed? I thought there was. I thought the sitter in extra. Well, there was time one that he the... missed. Maybe one of. I thought it was, he, before, it was... It was before. It was before. It was before extra time he missed. Oh yes. Oh. It's I don't weird. remember that one. I I I remember the one in, in extra time after the Julian Green goal that would have tied it up at two two. Sorry, I don't remember the, the one during All right, well, anyway, but... here's Klinsman. End of the day, so it's a very, very difficult job that now mm. Greg Berhalter has on his hands, you know, to rebuild this entire program, which we were actually uh, in a good place. You know, mm. it was progressing. I said, you know, I take that team in Russia into the final eight or even in the final four because mm. it was a building block. It was all laid out. It was all, uh, there was a plan for it, but mm. the plan got interrupted. It got even more interrupted when we didn't qualify mm. than for Russia. And it's... it's uh... This dude's nuts. There's no way that team could have... Do we even think they could have gotten out of the group? Well, Steven. Captain America... I should say Captain America. The Wonder Kid himself believes that they had the quality <laughs> to uh. make a deep run... Christian Pulisic said to ESPN, I think we had the quality to make a deep run. I don't see any reason why we couldn't have. Once you get those, uh, once you get to those knockout stages, I think anything's possible. I think anything could happen. Uh, Pulisic also spoke very highly of his relationship with Klinsman. Uh, I had a really good relationship with Jurgen, to be honest. He gave me my first chance really with the national team, so I don't have anything bad to say about him at all. I'm really thankful for everything that he gave me. So I think this goes back to your previous statement about the young guys believing in Burhalter, but some of the older guys or the 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 the, the old guard not believing in what Burhalter's yeah, okay, telling. Because here we have Christian Pulisic saying, "I love Jurgen. He gave me my chance, and I would, I would, you know, I would love to play for him." Yeah. Okay. Frankly speaking, there was no way in hell that team in 2018 was getting anywhere at the World Cup. Qualifying was a disaster to begin with. Do you know what group they would have been in, Armand? Like, if no, we were just going to play the simple substitution method, uh, they would have been in the group. Obviously, it depended. It depended on which pot the U, uh, the U.S. would have gotten in. But let's just replace them with Panama because Panama slid in right just before yeah. the U.S. They would have been in the group with Belgium, England, and Tunisia. Guess where Belgium ended up. In the semifinals of the World Cup. Where did England end up in the semifinals of the World Cup? Do you honestly think the U.S. had a chance to get past England and Belgium in the group stage to even qualify for the knockout stage? No way. I don't think so. And honestly, it's because Jurgen isn't a good tactical manager. I think that would have bit them in the behind as well. Uh, especially against those guys. We, we saw Roberto Martinez in that match uh, against Brazil, Brazil-Belgium, kind of exploit Brazil in like the per- most perfect way possible. And I don't think, I think Jurgen would have been exposed at some point, either early on or uh, in the group stage, or if they made it to the next round, that next round as well. Just a thought. Yeah, I, I, I just find it baffling. A, Jurgen saying that, sure, right? He's already U.S. 
A's daddy when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. Christian Pulisic, fine. You want to have the belief in yourself? Go for it. But if anybody's actually eating the cheese on this, I think you need to have a reality check. Because this U.S. men's national team has talent. They simply do. But when they come together as one team, there is a lot of problems. Coming up next, Joseph Lowry of The Athletic is going to join us. We're going to talk all things MLS. Stick around. All righty, we're joined by Joseph Lowry of The Athletic. Joseph, Joseph, welcome, welcome. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Joe and Cleats. Man, it's been a while since we've had you on. It's good to, to have you it back. Has. Thanks for that intro, Stephen. It's good to be back on and talking with you folks. Uh, I'm excited because that means MLS is back, and uh, it'll be a good time tonight. Well, I, I think uh, Armand, when we were, we were meeting before the show, alluded to saying, well, we're talking MLS, but... Do we really know if an MLS season's going to happen this year? Will the CBA still up in the air? It's so weird, man. It's like we haven't heard any news about the CBA, what's going on. 
Like, is there any negotiations? We don't know. And I find it really weird because we have all these major moves being made by MLS teams, but we also don't know if, like, some of the mechanisms will even exist, right? Like, what if TAM goes away? Like, what happens to the players that were acquired yeah. using TAM or TAM money traded around? Maybe it's it, maybe it's in existence for one more season that goes in effect next year, but, like, it's it, it's super weird to be in this spot. I feel like not a lot of people are... I think we're all assuming the season's going to start. I guess I'm assuming it, too, because the players are going to training camp right now, right? Like, there's training camp for CCL teams, so what exactly is going on? It's super weird, man. Do, uh, do, do any of you know, and listeners, at Sam Soccer Pod, at Armand Kafai, at Jacob Trowett, at Joe Cleats, at Steven Jodron, do we know if the team, if this, uh, the Champions League teams will play in the Champions League if the CBA is not agreed upon? What or is that something different? I I don't know. That's such an interesting question. That's another one of these really weird wrinkles to the CBA negotiation that, as Armand said, we just really don't have a lot of info on right now. Um, I mean, it, it I can see either way, either one of those two things happening with the teams technically not playing in an MLS competition. Maybe that means they would play, but again, they're still MLS teams competing. So I don't know how the legal side of that works. It's a really weird situation, and I, I do kind of feel like I'm burying my head in the ground a little bit and just assuming that it's going to happen. But we just don't know. We straight up don't know right now. Yeah. Well, Jake, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Like, you think, uh, what are they going to do, Jake? What are they going to do? Oh, well, as the uh, as the old man on this podcast here, uh, I have no idea. I was <laughs> me and Steve were talking about this yesterday, and I just thought, what happens? I think the CBA. Expires at the end of January, correct? Yeah. So, what happens in February when we start CCL? I, I mean, like that's what obviously what Stephen just asked. Like, this is what spurred this entire conversation. But who is paying those players during the CCL? Is it is it Concacaf? Is it MLS? I mean, how does that whole thing work out? I, I'm not entirely sure. And Joseph alluded to this too. We're all just kind of assuming that this st- season's going to start on time and that there's not going to be a lockout or a striker i guess would be a lockout in this case and it's it, it it is very interesting and the repercussions that could face this league if if this season does not start on time is going to be fascinating to me considering how niche mls is in a u.s marketplace well i, I mean what what are the ramifications a lockout could have in this league i mean that's hopefully that doesn't happen but that's going to be super interesting to see how that whole entire thing plays out yeah, I mean, especially though, especially with like all the signings that you know have been made this off season. To be honest with me, I mean, I have a list of like eight, like you know, pretty big signings. Team splash in the cash, like SKC and Alan Pulido, Columbus Crew and Lucas Delorean, DC United, Edson Flores, FC Cincinnati signing a DP and Yuya Kubo. Like we can go on and on. Yimi Chara for Portland. If this season doesn't happen, those teams and those players, like uh. What is going on? And I wonder, especially for those foreign players, like this one, this must be super weird for them. They're expecting to play, and then they like all of a sudden let's say nothing gets agreed upon, and they don't play. Super weird, man. Well, not only not only do they not do they not play, they don't get paid either. Exactly, it's that's weird. the other weird thing. So it's it's almost as if there's like uh, something agreed upon, like almost underneath the table, like uh, and and I don't know. I I mean, this is me completely speculating. Somebody has to be telling these players the season's going to start on time. We just need to iron out these these minor details in the CBA negotiation, but you're going to be okay. 
Yeah, but could you imagine? If, if I'm can a you player, imagine? Being, why would I make a move? Why would I make a move here if I can just wait until June or July when the the, the summer window opens and make the move then? Well, but Jake, could you imagine being a a, a GM in the situation? And, and we already know some GMs have no idea are are taking a very conservative approach. Uh, via Mickey Turner's article on soccer esq or sq dot com, the real drag is a CBA, and I'm reading from it. We don't know the rules. We don't know the money. We will have the most important thing for us is not to jeopardize any of good players we have. We have very good a very good foundation, and we do not want to be in a position where we have to offload one of the guys that helped us win an MLS Cup or an M- or MLS Cups. We are going to be conservative until the agreement is reached, and that's that's GM Gareth Laraway of the Seattle Sounders. It, it sounds crazy that some of these GMs have to take a step back and have their hands up in the air and say, we just have to play this by year until the agreement is signed to know what money we're going to be dealing with. And it's a, it's a weird situation because as Armand pointed out, we are seeing some teams come in and splash cash, right? We're seeing signings come in for five, six, seven, eight, nine million dollars from maybe even some historically quiet spenders. So that's that's half of it, right? And then we're seeing some other teams, Seattle being one of them who haven't made many major moves this offseason, the Red Bulls as another one who really haven't done much of anything in terms of bringing in key contributors. And then even the two expansion teams, Nashville probably has done more than than Andrew Miami has so far this offseason in terms of you know, big time or or more big time player acquisition. But we're seeing some teams take a really conservative approach to this offseason so far. So it's an interesting mixture of new big time signings or or what these teams expect to be big time signings and a quiet kind of more relaxed offseason for some of these GMs as they wait to figure out what exactly is going to actually happen in terms of the CBA. No, and Joseph, now let's, let's get back more to the, the on the field kind of stuff. Uh, I see. Obviously, Joseph writes for the Athletic. Uh, he spoken. You've spoken to a lot of coaches this off season, and within those conversations, have any of those actually? Which one of those has actually stood out to you? Uh, you know, from the ones you've talked to. Yeah. So to give our listeners a little bit of background, this off season for a series of pieces I've been doing for the Athletic, some have been out, some ha- are still in the in the editing threshold. Um, but I've spoken to uh, a handful of coaches, Oscar Pereja coming into Orlando City back in MLS. Uh, Nashville's Gary Smith coming up from USL. Uh, Tab Ramos in Houston coming from the U-20s now to his first professional job in MLS. And then uh, two interim coaches who were made official hires earlier this offseason, RSL's Freddy Juarez and Colorado's Robin Frazier. Of those guys that I've talked with, the the last two, the two interim guys, were the most definitely the most interesting conversations um, they they were willing to kind of approach the game from a tactical perspective in a way that I think is maybe even sort of unique in terms of coaches around the league. Freddy Juarez in particular for RSL, his I was asking him a lot of nerdy tactical questions because that's what the scope of the piece was. And that's also the kind of thing that I'm interested in. But his level of detail as he approached the questions that I was I was giving him was really, really impressive. And and I'm sure I'll be easily impressed because I'm not a pro soccer player who hears this stuff all the time. But the way that he approached um, the game and, and outlining his phases of play, what he wants to do with RSL this season was really encouraging. Uh, it's kind of tough with RSL because I'm not sure they have you know elite a lot of elite talent to work with. But coming away from that conversation, we talked for maybe 45 minutes on the phone in what was supposed to be kind of a 15-minute interview, but we were just really going 
his understanding of the game was so clear to me um, that I came away from that conversation really kind of encouraged about the project in RSL and feeling like, at least to me, he really did seem like the right guy to get that permanent tag. So, Joseph, I got to ask you this. Are they the team that you're excited for in 2020? Is there a specific team you are excited for? Uh, or, or if anything, is there a team you're also down on as well? Yeah, so... RSL is definitely one of them. As I mentioned, kind of the downside is I, I don't know oh, if they the have down? a no 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 no. So a positive about RSL. Slight downside that they don't have a lot of elite talent, at least to my eye. Um, but definitely excited and interested to see what Freddie Juarez is going to do with that squad this season, taking over for Mike Pecky. I think he's definitely going to instill more of a defined detail tactical approach. So I'm obviously excited to see that. And to take Armand, you and I have talked about this many times in the past. I know even on this show, Colorado, man, Colorado, Colorado with Robin Frazier. I definitely think that oh, he has to it. a lot, a lot Both of pieces. interesting team at MLS guys. Come on, man. They're, and hate, Tom Boger. You're right. And Tom Boger. You're right about that. You and Tom, I think yeah. you and Tom are definitely on the, on the yeah. right side of this argument. And, and for, for our listeners, Tom Bogert of MLS soccer has reported that they're going after, uh, a DP number ten, and they uh, and I think another DP as well uh, to add to their team. And like I said, most interesting team in the league. They're just but, so solid. They're just so solid. Exactly. Like they have two solid center backs, Lalas Abubakar and Austin Trusty. They have solid fullbacks, a young guy in Sam Vines on the left, Keegan Rosenberry on the right, who can also tuck in and play as a third center back if Frazier wants to to mess with that a little bit. And then they have. Decent attacking talent already. Not not great, but Jonathan Lewis is a above-average MLS player, we think. Still haven't seen a lot of him in this league, but Matt Doyle seems to love him with his whole heart. So uh, that's definitely a plus, I suppose. And then you've got Andre Shinoshiki, who's a talented guy. Rubio, Mes- I mean, you just have a lot of quality players for Colorado without... I'm not even sure they have any DPs on their roster right now. So you sign a number 10, you bring in maybe another central midfielder to give Kellen Acosta and Jack Price a little bit of competition. That's a good squad, especially underneath a guy like Robin Frazier, who also coming away from my conversation with him, definitely left me encouraged about kind of his view of the game and how that's going to actually be shown on the field in Colorado this season. Well, didn't they, under Robin Frazier, since when he took over for Anthony Hudson, or sorry, uh, was it Keller? Yeah. Was that no? Keller, was, he took, was, that, was that right? Indirectly, he took over for Connor Casey from Connor Casey. Hunt. Why I think Keller? Anyway, neither that doesn't matter. Did, at that point, didn't they uh, didn't they have the most points uh, either in the Western Conference or MLS? Correct me wrong here. From 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 when Roger Frazier or from when uh, Frazier took over till the end of the season. I don't know for sure about that stat, but they were they were bad. Before Robin Fraser got there, well, okay, they weren't terrible. They almost made the play. They also made playoffs. And they almost made the playoffs. Exactly. They they won. I think five out of their last seven games. They were only truly eliminated uh, on the last day on decision day against LAFC. So Fraser worked some real magic. Uh, I don't think he would say that, but he he definitely had a real effect on that team in a very short period of time last season. So how much more? Obviously, you have some a new coach buzz that comes in. They're definitely going to get a little bump from that. But how much more will he be able to truly make a mark on this team with a full offseason and a full regular season uh, in charge? So Colorado, definitely. Uh, Armand, Armand, you're absolutely right. They're definitely a team to watch. So I got to ask you this, Joseph, because we always talk about a team we're high on. Can we talk about a team we're low on? And I'm a, I want to jump. I want to be the first one to jump on this. Jake, I'm sorry to mention this. But I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy I'm gonna I'm gonna sell my stock in Minnesota United. 
Oh uh, no, I, I'm not. I'm not that. I'm not that high. I'm not that high. I'm sure they adding Chacon. I mean, I guess you can say they're adding him. Uh, but I just uh, feel like they're gonna they're, regress. They're adding. Uh, I don't know if you were aware of this, Armand. I saw saw this on Reddit earlier today. Reports out of Ecuador. They are adding the top scorer uh, in the Ecuadorian league, the Golden Boot winner, um, to the squad alone. The striker. What? I'm not a believer. I'm not a believer hey, in how can't... he sets up his team. Uh, I'm not a believer be- either. I'm not a believer either. But they did play really good defense. They also might their replace Thank Joe Hart. <laughs> Joe no. Hart. Enter Joe Hart. No. No. Oh, yeah. My okay, God. Jake. Joe Hart. We replaced a championship goalie with a Premier League goalie. I mean, come on. It sounds like a good good swap oh. option. <laughs> From Vito to to Joe Hart. And if you say it like that, yeah. I mean, that's, sounds, that's, but the question it is, good, doesn't it? The question really is, is what's the money being spent on that goalkeeping position? Because if it's anything above, like, well, oh, if you, man, no, 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 it doesn't matter what's it above. It's whether or not you give him a DP spot. Because I, Joseph, I don't know. Are you, we, the three of us on this show, all agree you do not waste a DP position on a goalkeeper. No, if you're gonna use it on a defender, give it to a center back. I mean. The the yeah. level of defending, especially central defending, on the whole in this league is is pretty poor. So if you're gonna toss out a DP spot to someone in a defensive kind of minded spot, at least if I'm making the decision, I'm gonna choose that center back nine times out of ten, ninety nine times out of a hundred. I don't think there are a few keepers that sure. If Allison's coming to Major League Soccer and he wants to ping ninety yard balls onto uh, onto Carlos Vela's foot for LAFC, okay, yeah, sure, give him a DP deal. But I. Uh, I don't think Joe Hart, who's I believe not even playing in the Premier League at this point, is worthy of one Burnley. of those kinds of contracts. Burnley started in their uh, FA Cup match against. Uh, yeah, Joseph, what do you know per- about the Premier League? Peterborough, bro? You're <laughs> come on, man. Hey, not even the Premier League, FA Cup. Um, That's the only appearance he's made for Burnley this season, I believe, is uh, the yeah. Peterborough st- uh, start. So, no, I mean, look. I mean, if we're going to talk Minnesota United goalkeeping situation here, I mean, Vito Manone, when he was brought in on loan last year, I think he was the. The third string goalkeeper for Reading, who at the time were in one of the three relegation spots in the championship. So, look, I, I mean, look, I, I, if, if it was up to me, I wouldn't bring in Joe Hart. I wouldn't sign him as a DP. I think wasting an, even an international slot on a goalkeeper is kind of asinine in my mind. I think you there, there, there are, are a lot of good option, alternate options you could uh, bring in if you were – uh, Minnesota United to replace Vito Manone. Uh, I think you know, like Alex Bono, it, it comes to mind. You could insert him. Uh, that's a, that's a really, that's a really good name. That's a really good and, name. You can insert him there, and, and I don't think you would be missing much. I think, and, and Armand can speak to this more. I think Vito Manone's performance last year for Minnesota United was more of a byproduct of the players in front of him. It was more of a byproduct of Michael Boxel and Icapara and Ozzy Alonso. Oh, he was overrated. Overrated, yeah. Yep, I yeah. I agree. I think I think he was I think he was relatively overrated, um, and he won goalkeeper of the year. So take it for what it's worth. Well, there you go. Uh, look, guys, we're, we're flying through time here, and uh, and we got to talk about Nashville and Miami. Joseph, the new kids on the block. Who's having a better off season so far? This is such an a weird discussion because it kind of feels like the answer is neither of them. Yeah. Um, Miami. Really? So really? Miami. You don't think Miami's better than Nashville right now. 
maybe marginally, but that wasn't the question. The question was who's having the better offseason. Mm-hmm. Miami, Miami's one DP they acquired before this offseason began. Um, okay, man. So no, okay. I'm not even trying to split hairs here, but think about from Miami's perspective. They went through a number of coaching targets before having to get to Diego. So who I think will still be a good coach in this league and has good experience and a good pedigree, but they didn't get the guy they were after or probably even the second guy they were after. So that's not ideal. And then they haven't done much in terms of signing actual like big name, not even big name. I'm talking, I'm not talking about David Silva. I'm talking about like quality above average attacking talent. Like they haven't done a lot of that kind of digging in terms of a player acquisition. So yeah, Miami probably maybe has the edge right now. I'm not even sure that I, I'm super comfortable saying that. Nashville has brought in a couple of guys in Hani Mukhtar and Randall Leal, two, I think, attackers that are as good or maybe better than anyone Miami has in that respect. And and that's that's kind of it outside of the basic kind of required Joseph, MLS roster building that you have. To do. Could we get a letdown if Miami don't sign a superstar? I mean, God, what are the rumors? Messi, Cavani... Uh, David Silva. I mean, you roll through. These are huge names in Europe. If Miami don't sign a name like that, I, I think as fans, or if you're a Miami fan, you got to be somewhat let down. You got to be like, what is going on? You guys want to promise fireworks, and what are we getting? A little firecracker. And I think if that happens, if they go through this whole season without one of those big names, I mean, Messi is unrealistic, right? Probably even Suarez and Cavani. Um, but if they don't go through and bring in someone that's a household name that can actually contribute and not just be there for the media attention, if they don't do that, then yeah, their season's going to be really tough for them. Now that said, I really do believe even if it's not in this transfer window in the summer, they will bring someone in. Uh, I think they will, it would be a too much of a wasted opportunity for them. As we just said, Steven to not make a move like that. So I think it will happen. But just in terms of where these teams are situated in the offseason now, neither one has has overwhelmed me, uh, you know, positively or or negatively, really, one way or the other with the moves that they've made. I mean, Joseph, like counter argument to you, uh, obviously, the technical director, GM, whatever his name is, uh, Paul McDonough was at Atlanta when they were building their roster as well. It seems like they're kind of following the same blueprint of sorts it's like kind of sp- like splashy signings but like you know like obviously they're spending the money but it's not really like the names that we know of if that makes any sense like not the Cavani's the Suarez's, is the Messi's I-, I personally have to give the edge to, to Miami uh because I feel like they are trying to make they're making small moves like Luis Robles I think that's a fantastic move from Miami that you know that's, that's going a fair point really yeah. under the radar that no one's really talking about and I think McDonough's building this roster, and I think it, it it's fine, but they're like rumored to like with the River Plate guy, maybe a fifteen, twenty million dollar bid that we don't really know. Like it's not popular in like popular soccer culture, like a Messi or a Ronaldo or whatever. But it's still a big move. And I feel like that's the same case with Atlanta, because they got what you had Joseph Martinez, Almiron, and Villalba. I mean, how many of those guys were household names? None. I don't think anyone yeah. knew any of them. So I feel like they're kind of following the same uh, same uh, blueprint. But you have a great point with the coach because I think they struck out on their first two or three options before they went to Alonzo. I feel like. And, that's what I feel like. And I believe that is true um, from what I understand. I think just – I think I agree with you essentially from a personnel perspective, Armand. This, this discussion could be totally different a week, two, three weeks from now based on whether Miami – don't not necessarily they bring in the David Silva, but they bring in – um, I believe it was Roger Martinez that they were linked to from from Mexico. 
Club America, I believe I have that name right, or or another player of that, you know, kind of quality, you're right, 10, yeah, 15 you're million right. dollars. You're right. That that could totally change this discussion because I do think with the with the current roster they have now, with a lot of solid MLS players or a couple of promising younger guys, you add in, you know, a top quality goal scorer to that group, and your the ball game is totally different at that point. So just based on now, I'm definitely. Uh, underwhelmed by kind of both of these teams, but some of that's just the nature of expansion, and that obviously is fickle and changes with time. Well, you guys, uh, let's talk a little bit more rumors. Let's talk about a couple uh, players specifically. Uh, when we come back from break, stick around. Luka Modric, Chicharito. We're going to talk about that with Joseph Lowry, amongst other things. Stay tuned. Alrighty, boys, we got Joseph Lowry of The Athletic kind enough to join us here this Sunday night as we talk a little MLS, and let's talk a little silly season, guys. Should we talk some silly season, some silly season rumors? Oh my god, every, t- every, time, every time you bring it up, Jake, I feel I feel like this never goes well. Hey, I, I, I just want to talk silly season. We got Joseph Lowry, we got some expertise finally on this podcast. <laughs> I just I just want to hear what he has to say about no, expert no enough. Are my names? No, did you just? Did I you mean, guys... he's right. Joseph's expert. He has yeah, that's fair. Stuff. That's, fair. that's why we bring him of, on. You guys are a bunch of schmucks, minus Joseph Lowry. Let's talk. Man, okay, let's talk stuff. 
Let's talk some silly season. I want okay. Let's let's dive right in here. Let's talk about the big, big, big name mentioned uh, in, in uh, MLS rumor mills this last couple of weeks. Luka Modric. No, we'll get to him in a second. No, here. I think Chicharito's a bigger name. I, think, I agree. Did, did I think he your characterization of Luka he, Modric is 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 not big name. Did he win a Did he win a Ballon d'Or the last two years? Has he played in a World Cup? I final? don't care. I don't. I genuinely don't think Luka Modric moves the needle like Chicharito does. So 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 guys guys, let me give you a little perspective. I was talking uh, uh, to John Arnold, and I was like, "What?" Cause, Sick uh, name drop. Yes, I was gonna name <laughs> drop. My, I was gonna name drop my boy. Uh, but I asked him. I'm like, "Yo, like." Because Paul Tonoro tweeted out, oh, he would steal 50000 like, would he, would he move the needle that much? And he told me, he goes, think about it this way. Okay, some people know Luka Madres, like soccer players, like it's mainstream. Uh, he goes, this would be the biggest name since Beckham. Latinos, whether they watch soccer or not, they know who Chicharito is. That's how big of a signing this would be. And I think sometimes we're kind of un- underestimating or whatnot. But to hear it from him and to hear it in that perspective... I have to agree with Steven. I think Chicharito moves the needle 10 times more than a guy like Luka Modric. Chicharito moves the needle off off the field definitely more. I don't think many people would argue that way. In terms of on-field stuff, which may be less important in this conversation because we are talking about these big names who are there for more than just the actual soccer part of soccer. But in terms of the on-field stuff, I think I think Modric, I, I side with Steven on, or uh, I side with Jake on this because... Montrich, Montrich has mad, like he's yeah, but ridiculously he's thirty-four. Talented. He's still quite up there in age. The way, but what, the way why he are we sleeping plays, on the way he plays? Though. I don't know that it matters. Because one but, okay. player plays for the best for Real Madrid, and another plays for Sevilla. I mean, I mean, come on, like Luka. And he's Ma- not really playing for Sevilla, and he's not really playing for Sevilla. Luka Modric is clearly the better player of the two. I mean, he's two years removed from winning the Ballon d'Or. But what what can he bring we're to a see- squad if he goes to DC United as as the original rumor was? He's not taking them to a deep run into the Eastern Conference Final or MLS Cup. I think they. Okay, they- let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is Chicharito replacing the 30-plus goals that Zlatan Ibrahimovic scored for LA Galaxy last year? Tell me that. Can you definitively tell me right now no, but, that Chicharito is going 30-plus goals? Okay, Jake, 20. Jake, here's the problem with the Galaxy. It's defensively. They can score goals. With Chicharito, you're selling tickets and seats and TV viewership. You know how much more exciting LA Galaxy and L- uh, versus LAFC and has become when it's Steven. Carlos Vela versus Chicharito? I don't care what he does on the field. Chicharito sells tickets. Also, remember, remember, LAFC, they kind of pulled in that Latino audience. And wait. now you bring a guy Chicharito to the Galaxy? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You can't tell me you don't care what Chicharito does in the field and then tell me how exciting Galaxy LAFC is going to be. If Chicharito doesn't, can't replicate what Zlatan did last year then El Trafico isn't as exciting no, as it has no, been. No, yes, it is. Yes, it no, is. No, because, because all, all is exciting is, well, you have the you have this Jake. Mexican national team legend versus Carlos Vela. Okay, Jake. great, but if the game sucks, who cares? Jake, Jake, El, El Clasico, what, the, the biggest rivalry out there. Did you really care once Ronaldo left for Juventus? No. Quite frankly, no. Sure, you might watch it because it's talented players. For El Clasico? For El I'm going to— El, Tra- uh, El Clasico between Real Madrid and Barcelona. 
I've never watched an El Clasico because I honestly I don't care. Okay. Even if Cristiano Ronaldo is playing or not, I honestly don't care. But I don't. When Ronaldo think it's, really, there, it's not a derby. It's not a rivalry. It's just the two best teams in Spain playing each other. It is a it's rivalry. Not, it's just not a no, derby. No, it's it's not nearly as. I, I would I would rather watch Rangers Celtic than watch Barca Real. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jake. You're whack. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Me, no, because, that, because there's the passion. There's, there. there's no emotion. Jake, I, I guess there is. They hate Barca. each other. There's more. There, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. There is a hell of a lot more hate, a hell of a lot more emotion in in Rangers Celtic than there is in Barca Real. Just because, how, how just because here, one, just because one rivalry has Messi and Ronaldo playing each other and the other doesn't doesn't make it this more it might be more uh visually pleasing because you, it's the two best teams in the world but in terms of hate and emotion and the fan bases you have a one fan you, like for Celtic Rangers it's there's politics there's religion there's, there's the upper class the middle it, class it, it doesn't there's not it does not exist in Barca Real yes, it does no the not to the extent and, and not to the extent not to the okay, extent of Okay Armand, Jake is just saying We've that. We've gone off Rain- the rails. We've gone off the rails Okay, here. yes. Yeah, back- I remember when we were talking about MLS. 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 Okay, MLS. Joseph. Joseph. Well, <laughs> answer this. In- that was great to listen to. That was actually, that was good content, folks. <laughs> That's the most animated you will hear me, and it's not because of the Crown Royal I'm drinking. It's because I really think that. Okay, Joseph. <laughs> In under a minute, Luka Modric, what can he bring to a squad? Can he elevate a team like a DC United to somewhere where they haven't been before in recent years? Can he elevate that team to becoming a deep, uh, successful team that people will be afraid to play in the regular season and come playoffs? DC United, with the way their roster is, or the way it was last season, Luka Modric obviously would improve them. It would be ridiculous to say that he wouldn't. But I don't think he he has them in MLS Cup last season just because of the problems that they had with that roster, the lack of talent kind of in the attack, to be quite honest. Um, if they make some of the moves that they're talking about making, Edson Flores seems to be, seems to be done. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to bring in Brian Lozano. Uh, but if they make another move, maybe next transfer window, next transfer window or in next offseason, if they ever actually bring in Modric to to couple with Modric, then it's a whole different ballgame, I think, at that point. Because Modric has the creativity, he has the passing ability. He can take that team up a level in possession just by himself. Uh, I don't think he'll do much goal scoring just because he's not ever asked to do that. That's not his game. But you pair him with uh, two, three capable goal scorers, and then you're really looking at a contender. So Modric by himself, not enough. Modric with a couple of attackers, now, now you're really yeah, talking. you're right. There we go. And now, okay, okay. let's... let's talk. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Uh, now, I want... Okay, sorry. I'm going to hijack this for a second here. Now, now, Joseph, I want you to tell me what would a Chicharito signing mean for the Galaxy on the field? <laughs> on the field. On the field, I don't think... He's not Ibrahimovic, right? But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, we talk a lot about how how many goals Ibrahim scored and, and how much he... Just his on-field antics and all of those things. We talk about that a lot. We don't talk about how little he defends. Uh, very yep, often, yep. and that hurt the Galaxy a yep. significant amount. Obviously, their lack of defensive talent uh, probably played a bigger role in that. But they were defending with nine outfield players for eighty-five percent of their like eighty-five percent of the minutes. So Chicharito, I think he would score twenty goals. I do believe that, um, and I think he would be more active defensively. I don't know that he makes a Galaxy MLS Cup contender, uh, but he definitely takes them up a level. I don't know if he takes them up enough levels to to make a difference. But if you're the Galaxy, maybe they don't even care about that. Maybe all they care about is selling out StubHub every single game, and that has value in and of itself. Well, Jake, 
But do you think the Galaxy, regardless of what the on-field situation, this is almost a must sign. Think about somebody to replace Ibra's stature. You need somebody who's going to take them further, right? Further than they did under Ibrahimovic? Yeah, because they they crashed out. They they played uh, Minnesota United, right? And that seemed to be a predictable win. Sorry, Jake, but it just seemed you were there, Jake. It, it just seemed like they were going to. I was get... there. I was there via Brian Williams. <laughs> That's an old meme. That's an old meme. But yes, yeah, that did seem like a predictable win. But carry right, on. Sorry. But right, the Galaxy are are well. Now this is even more controversial. Are one of the biggest clubs in MLS. They're at least the most successful, but they have also been around a very long time. They have to play two hats. They also have to play, well, how are we going to get people to come to our games? And how are we going to be successful? And Chicharito seems to be able to do kind of both. Chicharito is not – I mean, Ibrahimovic wasn't enough. If, if we're talking about one guy to, to make the difference, right. if he's not enough, Chicharito is not going to be enough. So then you got to look and say, well, okay, if we get a guy like Chicharito and we're filling up the stadium and we're – we're really kind of back at the peak of MLS in terms of, you know, the media and the fan and just the buzz around the team. That's that's half the battle. But then you have to continue to bring in guys who can supplement Chicharito and actually build a, a whole team. And they haven't done that the last couple of seasons. The back line, especially in the middle, not not very good. Uh, the midfield is definitely solid, and some of the attacking talent they have is solid. But they've lacked the balance from from top to bottom that you really need to be an MLS Cup like contender year in and year out. So Chicharito would absolutely make a difference. But like I said, with Modric in DC, one guy, it's, it's really hard to find one player who's going to make the difference in and of himself. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a competent roster built around that guy to really succeed. Now, speaking of DPs and speaking of, you know, spending big on aging players, there's a rumored new DP rule coming out, according to Sam stage school of the athletic. And we're going to go through briefly what they are. And we'll get, our, we'll get our takes on it. Under these new rules, if none of a team's three DPs are under 23, the annual spend for one of those players would be capped at a sum of $1 million plus the season, that season's maximum budget charge. If the team has at least one U23 DP, they're able to spend any amount on all three of their DPs. So, for example, if Toronto FC were, if this rule was in play and Toronto FC was around, they would not be able to have Sebastian Giovinco, Michael Bradley, and Josie Altador. Uh, there was no way because they're, they're – uh, annual spend on all those three would definitely eclipse over a million dollars. And essentially what this is, is they it, it seems a little bit like, you know, some teams want to kind of close the gap on what's this weird MLS arms race that we talked about. I mean, SKC just spent $10 million on Alan Pulido. Uh, Portland spent $6 million on Yimi Chara. Uh, the Carews spent $8, 9000000 $10 million on Lucas Elorion. Like, we can go on and on. Uh, and in Stace's article, he pointed out how the two teams that were really talking about changing them were FC Dallas and Vancouver. Uh, teams are historically on the lower end of spending. Now, guys, we hear this. It seems like another cap being put on teams in Major League Soccer to, you know, okay, uh, kind of hidden behind this. We want to be this selling league. What do you guys think of it? I mean, personally, for me, it seems like let's let the teams build how they want. I don't understand why it's do all these restrictions. This is, this I don't is, get it. This is not smart. If a team can sign DPs that are 26, 27, 28, now you're going to restrict that ability because I have to sign somebody who's under 23. What are we doing? I get it. The league wants to, the league wants to promote youth, but then give them a fourth DP spot that allows them to go after that U23 or even give them a fifth spot. 
If teams want to spend, let them spend. I, it's not my money. Spend all you want. It's like we, we criticize MLB for having no cap, and then people, or the fans, are talking about money being spent by the clubs and how the owner clubs are being cheap. Who cares? It's not your money, fans. Let the clubs let the club spend as much as it wants because it's not your money. So why not let Atlanta? Why not let Miami, LA, Seattle's spend as much as they want? And teams like. FC Dallas, the Revs, Colorado, Chicago, but we'll see with Chicago. They want to be on the cheaper and let them be cheap. And it's going to catch up with them one day. Yeah, I mean, the more spending caps, the more complex you make all the rules that MLS already has, the harder the league is to digest to people. And if you're limiting already the quality on the field with with more of these budgetary caps, then then you're just shooting yourself in the foot, right? So some of these you know lower spending teams, FC Dallas, Vancouver, it might work well for them in the short term. But 10, 15 years from now, you're there and, and you've hampered the entire league because your ownership doesn't want to spend or, or reportedly doesn't want to spend money to keep pace with the rest of the league. And that's just not smart. Like just from a business perspective only, that's incredibly short-sighted to have that be your approach. So yeah, I, hopefully the the rules are simplified even further, honestly. that I think pretty much everybody would agree and prefer that the rules be, be cut back and have teams, like Steven said, spend if they want to. And if they don't, you're going to get left behind only as much as you can get left behind in a league that we know is without promotion and relegation. So it's a pretty high floor for some of these teams that don't want to spend their money. No, I agree with Joseph just on the, on the simple fact of simplifying everything. I mean, how many times, Stephen and Armand, how many times do we have conversations not even talking about MLS, we talk about like the NBA and, and being like, well, this team has X amount of dollars and cap space to send next summer. Like that's going to be super exciting. They can sign guy X, Y, and Z. When you talk about MLS, you have, well, they have, and we don't even know, we can only speculate or listen, the media speculates on this. Well, this team has maybe 3 million in GAM or 2 million in TAM and, well, they could spend this amount of TAM to buy down this DP and it opens up a DP slot, but then they have the salary cap, but we don't really know how much money they have available in the salary. I mean, like, there's so many mechanisms at play, and if you got rid of, of even, I, I, I mean, if MLS could find a way to simplify all this, I think fan engagement would go up too, because you could have those conversations of, well, we have $6 million in cap space or whatever it may be, and we can maybe we should go and sign this guy or do these things or whatever. I, I feel like in MLS, you don't have that whatsoever because you have so many different spending mechanisms. And I think that just deters fans from having those those fun conversations either online or with friends. And I think overall that's a detriment to the league. And I agree. I agree. I agree. A hundred percent. I yeah. think it is. It'd be, get, it'd be a detriment to the league. Yep. Let's get to the questions, guys, because we just have a couple minutes left. Sorry, Jake. I mean, sorry, Armand, to interrupt you. No, but no, we do no. have questions to go to. One on Twitter: Why doesn't U.S. soccer hype the January camp with interviews and more material provided to provide some excitement for fans? All right, that's a great question. But then again, what are you expecting? What What do you want to hear from? players or coaches regarding and the I think they're like hype videos and stuff like that I can I can see their point to be honest with you yeah you I think can, so I can, yeah I can see their point well get people excited man who is Brian Kyle who is Chris Kappas who are these guys like I, I know who they are but like to like fans who are they you know get them get them to know each other I feel like we all know some of these players introduce them they don't yeah. play in MLS they don't play in MLS so what does US soccer care who they are they play in USL it's a competing league sorry 
You're not playing your- oh, Rio KO does, but Cap is playing Not anymore. anymore. Well, like, we all know. Yeah, that's true. Hey, hey, yeah. hey, 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 plug time, plug it. No, you plug it, Armand, you, you brought it up. We, uh, we, uh, we, 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 we sat down and uh, had an interview with the uh, Orange County President of Soccer Operations and General Manager, Oliver Vies. Yes. Uh, that'll be out next week, and we actually asked him about that, so uh, you, you may Thank have to wait a little bit, but, but we have a lot of great insight for that as well. Jay, uh, one more question, or a couple more questions here. Jake, this one's for you. Uh, what was the ceiling with Jurgen as U.S. Men's National Team Manager? The ceiling, just like like the ceiling, not not in a specific World Cup, just the ceiling. Yeah, what was the ceiling? I, I think you saw it in 2014 when they lost to Belgium uh, in extra time. I think that was the ceiling. Uh, we've all talked about this. Jurgen wasn't the best tactician, wasn't the best manager. I think Jurgen had a lot of great ideas. Uh, I think Jurgen, if if you're gonna talk about since we talked about Brian McBride being named GM. I think Jurgen is better cut out to be somebody in that position or to be an Ernie Stewart, like a sporting director position, than he is as a manager. I think you saw the peak of the mountain under Jurgen, and I think it was getting out of the uh, quote unquote group of death in Brazil 2014, and it was taking Belgium to extra time. So to me that that's the that's the that's the that's the mountain there that was that was what that was the best under Jurgen but Armand that is it for one more question Armand do you have a football manager USL mod No I don't sorry guys uh, but Ford Madison does Oh there you go <laughs> there you go Hey uh, McBride's public thoughts are all, more on the team one of our listeners said and when it comes to McBride uh people are, have mixed res- uh feelings about it Anyway listeners at Onksam Soccer Pod, at Jake Watrova, at Armankafai, at Steven Jodder, and at our very special guest, at Joseph, or uh, Joe and Cleats, actually, Mr. Joseph Lowry. He has got excellent insight with U.S. men's national team and MLS, so be sure to catch his work on The Athletic. Like Armand said, we have a special interview next week. We'll be back live 8 p.m. Central Time. Until next time. Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.